This is the Art of Warcast, a podcast about Legend of the Five Rings, the living card game from Fantasy Flight Games. Your hosts are Tobin Opus, Carl Anderton, and Doug Keister. Restricted list special, Tobin's romance novel. All right, welcome. I'm Tobin Lopez. I'm Carl Anderton. I'm Doug Keister. And I'm Tyler Parrott. What are we up to today, Carl? Extra, extra, hear all about it. A new restricted list is upon us, and boy, is it a doozy. Or not, depending on which plan you play. We've got Tyler Parrott, lead developer for L5R, here to share a bit more about the announced changes. So sit down, or stand up, we don't care, and listen carefully, and the bird will sheriff his wisdom upon us all. <laughs> all right, welcome, Tyler. Welcome, and thanks for doing this. Uh, as you all heard, we have a guest and a, kind of a scoop here. Tyler offers us the opportunity to interview him regarding the, the just announced restricted list. And so we'll kind of get right to it. Uh, Tyler, do you want to add anything about, uh, about your intro, uh, adding to the lead developer status or, or your, your status as a parrot? Um, I'm an undercover parrot. Thank you very much. I'm trying to keep that on the DL. Everyone <laughs> Keep thinking I'm a human because otherwise they'll stop listening to me. <laughs> all right, all right, there you go. Everyone knows you're a pirate. It's fine. <laughs> all right. So let's start off with uh, what was the intent uh, with the update? What was your main goal? Uh, so going off of the tail end of the Kote series and, begin- and looking ahead towards the World Championships, which we have coming up, uh, I wanted to address two things. One is clan balance, because this is a game that revolves around its seven clans. Um, Basically, taking a look at who's the best, who's the worst, who is, what can be done to try to bring everyone as close to being on the same playing field as possible, with the obvious caveat of, A, you're never going to get exactly 50-50 matchups in, in every game, which you don't want. Right, you want uh, different games to feel differently, but you want them all to feel competitive. Uh, two, uh, I don't know how players are going to build post restricted list and change and post uh, Lion Clan pack release because there's just a lot that's going to change with those two things. But this is my best uh, attempt to address the most powerful and least powerful clans, and also to shake things up, right? Because like. People want to be challenged if they're going to a world championships um, and That's forcing people like to reevaluate the decks that they have been used to playing for the last six or more months um, forces deck building skill to be more relevant because people have to try to, ha- they have to evaluate cards uh, off of their own player skill rather than sort of what the online community, and you can't see the air quotes that I'm doing, what the online community <laughs> is, uh, has decided is the best deck. Um, I do. Which, I like that. I like shaking things up. I like that there's going to be some with this change that there's going to be some unknowns going into worlds that I think will be kind of make it a lot more fun. It'll make it mm. more fun to watch because people are more likely to be surprised if they're spectating, right? Because they don't know what the competitors are bringing. Um, and it'd also be, I think, having been a competitor in the past, I think it's more fun as a competitor to be forced to uh, do lots of testing, do lots of uh, make judgment calls. Because crafting. Where, right, because that's where deck building skill comes in. Um, deck building skill comes in when you have limited amount of time to try to figure out the best deck that you can bring to the tournament rather than having a whole list of previous events to compare against, which is valuable, don't get me wrong. And also, I'm sure that the release of the Lion Pack is going to shake up a lot. But it was also important to me to address the most game-warping cards uh, that currently exist in the metagame, which conveniently mostly line up with the most powerful clans. Um, Because there are a few cards, uh, and you probably uh, are not surprised seeing the list. I I was not too shocked, actually. Yeah, that, that these specific cards are the ones that I've pegged as if this hits the table and doesn't get answered pretty immediately, it will just take over the game. Um, and while that can be fun, it's, it's more fun in a more casual setting because you can just 
you're like, oh, okay, yep, I don't have an answer for Uji. He's going to kill me over three turns, so let's just shuffle up and play a new game. But you don't want to do that in a tournament setting, right? No, and then maybe I'll change my strategy to try to, you know, counter him or at least be set up for him before he shows up. Uh, You don't want that to happen in a tournament setting. Um, You want the in-play sort of turn-to-turn tactical resource management to be what gets highlighted at such a major tournament. Completely. And the thing about these cards in particular is that there are answers to them, but there are not answers in all of the clans. Uh, Uji, following, sticking to, to my current example, uh, if you're a scorpion... Um, you have answers. Even <laughs> um, or uh, basically, if you're playing a scorpion or you're playing a courtier deck, you yeah. have theoretically ways to deal with Uji. But if you're not playing one of those two strategies, you're just like, all right, all right. Got an honored Uji. What am I going to do now? Like, you got to uh, try to or, use Fire Ring, and that's really kind of the only thing you might have. That can be really challenging when yeah. Honored Uji makes it difficult to win the Fire Ring, right? The age old uh, Isawa Tadaka problem. Um, <laughs> right. And like, uh, five fires can be canceled, but uh, Dragon, especially, can't cancel it because they don't really have any good event cancels. The, the usual dragon tools to protect their characters, uh, Finger of Jade and Above Question, don't work on it. And even more so, the most dragon-specific tools to deal with a card like that, uh, which is hand disruption like Kazuki Investigator, that's not going to work either because then they got Kei Nisawa, they'll just play it out of their discard pile. Yeah. So uh, these kinds of cards, especially in certain matchups, can just end the game almost on the spot uh, or very shortly after thereafter. Um, and that again, it's yeah, important I, that card games have big effects and have powerful cards. Uh, but I wanted to set the game up, set the world championships up to be as fun and competitive as possible. I have seen uh, consumed by five fires just pretty much end the game. So I get what you're saying by that. That is, that's a good intent. I like that. It's the closest we have to a board wipe. True. I think it really is. It's the nearest thing we really have. It's it's such a nasty little fact. Now, obviously, you've been talking about the cards that are um, that are going onto the list. Let's um let's get in briefly before we do that into which ones are coming back to us. The two two you've removed because uh, Niten Master and Feast and Famine are coming off the list. Could you talk about those a little bit? Uh, well, I'll talk about Feast or Famine first because it kind of exists in a separate category. <laughs> um, as uh, everyone is well aware. Right now, there are no, no clans have access to a fire roll. And it's largely because all of the other rolls have powerful cards that draw you into that role. I restricted it last year because it was so metagame warping. But having playtested with this errata a bunch, uh, I'm satisfied that uh, this errata to nerf Feast or Famine and bring it back in line with the other provinces and then unrestricting it will mean that the fire roll has access to a powerful card uh, that doesn't end the game on the spot the way that it used to, uh, but is definitely like, that is a powerful effect. Taking a fade off of your opponent's best character and putting it on your best character is a very powerful effect. It's a two-fade swing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's more than that, right? Because it's a, fade off, it's a fade off of their best guy and a fade onto your best guy. Uh, so it's, it's almost like you took control of their best character for a turn, which, like, when you put it that way, it's bananas, especially right. when it's a free province. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, because the, the errata says that you may place the fate on any character, right? So the character doesn't have to have fate on it. Uh, yeah, so unlike... Oh, sorry, the character doesn't have to be blank. The character doesn't right. have to be fateless. The previous version took all the fate off of the character and put it onto a character with no fate. Right. That resulted in two game states, either game state A, where there are not valid targets and the province does nothing or uh, outcome B where you take all the fate off of their best character and you just put it on whatever dude you happen to have lying around. And now they've just lost their best character and you, whoever you get to put the fate on is going to stick around for probably the the rest of the game. Yeah. It's a much more well um, leveled out effect. Obviously, like you say, you can trigger it more often. So it's more likely to steal a fate off someone if you care. And if you care about getting a fate onto one of your guys, that's more likely to happen too. So Right. And the important, the most important thing is that it only takes one fate. Uh, it means that if I have a, a, an important character like a Togashi Mitsu with three fate on him, then he's not uh, constantly in danger of randomly dying. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, okay, they'll take one fate, but he's still going to stick around for two more turns. Yeah. The same kind of strategy that people were taking when they were up against decks full of a fate worse than death and meditations and the void ring. And they're like, all right, this dude's got eight fate. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to stockpile until I get to 16 resources and play my five drop with eight fate on them. We're doing yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair as well, you were mentioning, we're going to get around to it consumed by five fires with that being restricted. Now that combined with feast of family is now a downside more reasonable than this whole, like the entire board goes away in the wrong moment kind of play. So true. Right. And and um, so was what 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 was your reasoning for consumed? Was that it? Basically, just too much of a board wipe. Uh, well, we'll get to it. Um, okay. Well, let's let's talk about Neaton Master a little bit first. Oh, right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. skipping ahead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, the, the way that I organized it in my article was, um, I have the four cards that are the five cards that are added or removed from the restricted list. Right. Let me hang on. Let me do my math. Uh, yes, five cards that are added or removed for reasons of clan balance. And then you have uh, Feast or Famine, which comes comes off to empower the firewall. And you have Mia Satoshi, who goes on the list because of a whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> ah, okay. Right. Okay, yeah, right. Mia Satoshi has all the reasons for being on the list. <laughs> so uh, if we're talking about Neaton Master, then mostly... That's going to come as not much of a surprise to anyone. Uh, the dragon, lion, and unicorn clans were the three clans that seemed like they were in the lo- weakest spot and could use a little bit of help, competitively speaking. Right. Uh, lion, lion and unicorn, I feel, are getting enough tools in the lion clan pack as to be just fine. Uh, but dragon could use a little bo- boost. Uh, Neaton Master is no longer the like format-dominating superstar dragon is not no longer the format dominating superstar that it used to be so here you go have your neaton master back <laughs> yeah and honestly like having a person that untaps twice unbows right. twice readies twice in a turn is not a big deal anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's no longer scary without trying <laughs> we're, yeah. we're totally getting used to that now so i'm uh, sorry neaton master you were before your time you back. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> The world has has grown accustomed to your skills. We weren't ready for it. <laughs> <Right. laughs> All right, so let's. We're just gonna kind of go through the. Th- thanks for that, Tyler. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned that because if you've listened to previous podcast listeners, you know that that we've basically. It's and it's not a. It's not like we're taking congratulations here, but the f- folks know the community knows that the breakdown that Tyler mentioned the four the four at the top and the three type ty- ty- kind of at the bottom is what everybody knows and, and what is indeed really the case at this point, right? Whether it's objective truth or uh, perceived truth, it doesn't really matter. But now what's interesting here is that in your article, you go through each of these cards and you kind of talk about uh, why each one. And we just wanted to get a little bit more in depth. What was it about Consumed by Five Fires? It's like, as Carl mentioned earlier, basically a board wipe. Is it just too swingy um you know you had uh, embraced the void on there before you still have it on there and so why add consumed by five fires so if it resolves uncontested then it's basically going to completely discard your opponent's entire board that's literally the effect of the card is remove all the fate from your opponent's side of the board uh, there's nothing really you can do to stop it short of canceling the effects of the event or pressuring your opponent enough that they can't afford sitting on five fate mm-hmm. right if if i'm unicorn and i'm attacking every round breaking one or more provinces every round maybe my opponent doesn't have time to sit around do nothing for most of the with most of their turn and then spend their five fate to discard my board for next round right right now the game is not set up to make such pressure super effective strategy you mean so, pressure, the, the pressure to make them spend to make them not keep five around okay that, that kind of that kind of in-game like i'm going to kill you or i'm going to win the game if you don't do th- do something to stop me pressure proactive strategies are not at, are, are not quite there yet right now mm-hmm. um, which means that an effect like consumed by five fires is kind of in its prime 
position to to have its strongest effect right when it first came out it wasn't all that big a deal it wasn't until recently when play styles have adapted to be a more cautious control try to accumulate minor advantages over a long period of time that kind of play has definitely grown a lot in the in the last six to 12 months yeah the, the, the kind of the exactly. accepting kind of the accepting that yeah i'm gonna have a province broken here province or two broken maybe even three but i'm gonna win the long game and also this idea of like there's there's not enough card effects to punish my opponent for sitting back and doing nothing hmm. and there's also not enough tools for me to have lots of power quickly because breaking the first two provinces generally doesn't matter in mm -hmm. a game and resolving ring effects right now is a little bit worse than triggering province abilities, which all adds up to a game where defending is generally better than attacking. And if defending is generally better than attacking, then consumed by five fires is going to be at its best. It's, that's when it's most dangerous. So right now is kind of five fires most powerful moment in the game's history so far. So um, fair to say that the the consumed by five, five excuse me the fair to say that the consumed by five fires change is partly here to shake up how people are playing the game literally to go come on let's get out of this sit back and and wait meta exactly uh, it can always come off the list and and I will certainly keep an eye on all of these cards that I'm adding to the list to see mm -hmm. when if and when they can come off just like Neaton Master is doing mm -hmm. um, but right now for the tournament that happens in a month. Uh, or a little over a month, I don't want Consumed by Five Fires to be in 30% of the decks. Right, uh, right. I, I want it to be something that people have to go out of their way to take because it's a very powerful and difficult to stop effect. Well, that, you know, that's, that's great. Now let's, uh, let's switch clans a bit though. Let's, uh, let's talk about the Scorpion clan and Cunning Magistrate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> Larger scale. God, jeez. Um, amazing. Yeah, effectively, what I did with this uh, list was I took the single most game-altering card for the top four clans, them being Mado, Uji, uh, Five Fires, and Cunning Magistrate. And I said, these are all restricted. You don't get to use your, your bomb unless you want to give up everything else on the list. And the target that I was using was the card in the deck that single-handedly warps the game state the most, right? There's an argument for uh, something like Kachiko. There's an argument for something like... Display of power. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's an argument for display of power, and there's also an argument for uh, mark We're of shame. calling in favors. Yeah, mark of shame. Or mark of shame. Mark of shame, yeah. Right, like these are, all, these are all cards that can just come down and say, all right, new game state now which is good, you want those in the game. But if you're a unicorn deck, you basically have zero tools to stop a Cutting Magistrate that comes down. And Cutting Magistrate will often be in multiple, multiple conflicts around. So honestly, Scorpion needed to get hit along with the other three top clans. And mm -hmm. Cutting Magistrate was the most in-game altering card that they had that fit sort of the same guidelines of being difficult to play against that it shares with Uji and Mado and Five Fires. It does yeah. kind of seem like the obvious choice for yeah. Scorpion warping cards right now. It's a and I will say this much, uh, the Lion Clan pack has a lot of cards in it. Like Lion is, is traditionally Scorpion's worst matchup, right? Lion yeah. is the most anti-Scorpion clan there is. It's right. a surprise that Scorpion continues to do well in a world in which Lion is argued by some to be the weakest clan. The Lion Clan pack is going to come out, and uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of cards that are very blatantly anti-Scorpion in that pack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the, there was, there's been a lot of, what is it, this Warden of the Rich Frog or the Emerald of the Rich yeah, Frog? there's the Steward of the Rich Frog. Steward of the Rich Frog. There you go. She, people have been like, well, then she turns for shame on. Like, well... But, yeah, but all also, those pride characters, mm -hmm. they don't they don't get dishonored when they lose a when they lose a combat. So there's no so it turns pride. It I see it as empowering pride a lot, right? It's empowering pride, and it's also 
it's making your honor total safer because a big way right. that, that the scorpion deck mm-hmm. wins its games at all is by making the opponent run out of honor. And how does it, what's the most effective way to make the opponent run out of honor is to dishonor all their characters. So when those characters leave play, they lose honor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so if my characters can't be dishonored, then my honor total isn't going to go down as fast, which means I have more, possibly even more rounds in the game to try to win. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. So, and and it, with it, the stronghold, where you're putting them between a rock and a hard place, with the new lion stronghold I'm talking about now is where like either I lose and I bow somebody or I win, and I win, <laughs> right? Yeah, so absolutely. the the uh, we've talked about it on our on our cast before this this idea that it's you're losing to win is not the right lens. It's, I'm putting you between one choice and another, and I'm letting you choose which one of the, is the best for you, but they're all probably okay for me, you know? I will be honorable and not take the choice away from you, but all choices are awful. <laughs> there you go. That's well, well said. Well said. Pick your poison. Well, on the on the front of empowered characters, because as we've been recording the last like couple of months, um, this name comes up repeatedly. So when I mention Mia Satoshi, I'm not going to ask you um, why... He went on the list, but which particular reason would you pick out that Mia Satoshi uh, on the list? There were three. Yeah. Only two of them are widely known, but there were three. Uh, one of them is very obvious. One of them is Phoenix fills its discard pile with characters, and then the bird comes out and resurrects them all. Um, one of them is Mia Satoshi fills your discard pile, and then Mado shows up. You play all of your discard pile out of your Mado, and then, and then you win because you just have like. 12 characters to your opponent's zero. Right. One or whatever. And if you have any sacrifice outlet, that only gets even crazier. The third one uh, was there was a lion deck that was shared with me that I don't think had traction yet. Although from what I've been told, it did. Wherein you would empty, you would put your entire deck into your discard pile immediately. What? With Satoshi? Yeah. You would run two, two Satoshis. You'd mulligan form aggressively you'd play the crab event that lets you trigger an ability again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Put your entire discard pile into your deck into your discard pile, and then you would have some way to get uh, to have Kitsu Spirit Caller out, who would resurrect another Spirit Caller, who would resurrect another Spirit Caller, who would resurrect Totri, or whoever you want, really. And then, and then your entire deck is these specific cards that you want to keep bringing back. And while it's kind of fragile, if it gets any traction it, you're just you just have the best characters in play all the time for almost zero cost oh wow um, yeah <laughs> so i was just like let's not have that <laughs> that's that's commute or rather uh, let's have that be a thing but at the cost of because honestly satoshi himself is not a problem satoshi himself is like fine if you want to do discard pile shenanigans great go for it fun i enjoy those from time to time the problem is when you can combine combine him with charge because now you're not playing Satoshi for his stats. You're playing Satoshi for put your deck into your discard pile. If I can do that for one cost and then do other things from my discard pile for almost no cost, right? Whether it's getting back keeper initiates, whether it's mm-hmm. four bearers echoes, whether it's uh, mm-hmm. some kind of Mado loop, like all of these things are like, okay, I'm going to pay one. I'm going to charge in Satoshi. I'm going to discard my deck. And now we're going to do everything at once. If I have to pay four or six fate for Satoshi, that get that becomes a lot slower you can still do it it's just not as efficient which is the point Mm -hmm. the point is to just make these powerful decks slightly less efficient like crane is gonna be fine crane's gonna be able to build a lot of the same decks they currently have just without daidoji yuji that's fine they still get to play the same deck it's just slightly lower power level totally yeah and and looking at your article you're talking about you know, the, the hit and the haymakers, right? Um, uh, there's a reason I wrote that article in the beginning of the, you know, design journal series. Yeah. Rather than later, because it's one that I reference a lot or one that I think about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just talking about the fact that like Daidoji Uji and an honored Uji can basically allow you to skip the dynasty phase. Like there's, it's, it's advantageous for you to go pass. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and, and, to the extent that you know you're you're breaking the economy of the game that in that way to me looking at this list i look at daidoji uji and i say well like, like you just said it's basically the same deck 
I, I'm oh, just wondering awesome. whether there's another crane card that may have gone on here that would have stressed crane a little bit more, but maybe crane doesn't need it to be stressed because they've been consistent, but not breakout win kind of idea. Right. Levels of so there's there's play. there's there's a few things there. Uh, yeah. Number one, to your point of skipping the dynasty phase, that itself is not inherently a problem, right? That's the point of Daidoji Uji is he lets you play your con your dudes as conflict characters. That's his effect. The right. setup is you need to honor him and also pay a ton of fate to put him in play. Right. You have to pay a ton of fate to put him in play and you need to honor him. So the effect should be strong. Mm -hmm. it's okay. Two, two tiers there. And the effect is you get to play your dudes as conflict characters, which is great. Yeah. The problem is if he gets to sit around for multiple rounds, it's the cost reduction that's the problem because if that builds up over the course of two rounds and now I'm up four or five fate to my opponent just because Uji discounted all my characters, like that's the part that's the point where he starts to get too strong. As to Crane, uh, I see them as being more or less equivalently powerful to the other clans, uh, the other top clans anyway. Um, mm -hmm. I think that for various reasons, they just haven't pulled out the win at Akote yet. I think they have one win. Um, yeah, I think you're right. But they're consistently in the cut. They're definitely the like most common second place. <laughs> if you look at the like top cut as a whole unit. And so I wanted to address something. There's an argument for... Kikita Dojo, maybe, or Kikita Toshimoko, maybe. Um, yeah, Toshimoko but, is the one that can be, but he also has to have presence, right? So there's. But A, he needs presence. B, uh, there are more ways to interact with him than there are to interact with Uji. Uji basically is like honored, yes or no. That's it. Right. Uji, like you can move him out, you can get your guy to have more military skill. You can bid higher in the duel. Like there's lots of things that you can do to theoretically get past the Nuji. There are fewer things that you can do to get past the Nuji. Oh, Toshimoko. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More Toshimoku. things to do to get past the Toshimoko. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. And Uji can just stand off by the side and, and let everything happen around him and not really participate until the last conflict. If you're second yeah, player, he, he just, just goes in I mean, alone. Right. If he's honored, then he's an eight military, so he's just going to kind of yeah. break a province. Like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the other thing is, Uji going away from the deck affects their power level less, but affects the fun of the games in which you are playing against Crane a lot more. He goes, maybe he gets replaced by Kuanin or something. But the thing is, if I'm playing against the Crane, I would much rather be facing a, an honored Kuanin than be facing an honored Uji. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and, and policy sure. debate with their new with the with the Crane Stronghold Province, Kiyun and Kikita, you know, now you're really making them choose where it was where before it was policy debate, which is effectively a crane card, and guest of honor, now you're making them really consider whether or not the, the Uji goes in there. And the policy debate with that stronghold was a way to honor Uji. <laughs> Right, so now you can't really do both. So you got to go for some more dueling cards. If you want, if you're going to take policy out, keep Uji in. You need to replace policy debate, and the dueling cards are still fairly limited. There's fairly the game of Sedane seems kind of redundant in a Kakuden Kaida, Kakuden Kaida well, deck, right? It it also struggles to be meaningful when you're dueling with a not already honored Uji, right? Because right. It's skill yeah Maybe zero if he's dishonored but like there's gun by there's duelist training you're right that it is less effective whenever i've built my kakita decks i've always found the zero cost duels to be really important that's why people are playing policy debate mm -hmm. i think i mean certainly gun by becomes a lot more important in that deck yeah for sure for sure all right so uh we've already talked a little bit about gateway to mado is there anything more you'd like to say about it <laughs> Other than uh, what? It's a, it's a very strong card, and if you want to play a very strong card that can, like the point of Gateway Tomato was that it presents this powerful this powerful effect, but the risk is if it breaks early, it does nothing for you, which right. of course is true for any well not any province for a lot of provinces. Mado was partially balanced around the idea that you're not going to have an a discard pile early. So if your opponent runs into it in the first round, it doesn't do anything. So now they know it's there and they have this opportunity to try to 
push farther to break it. People aren't breaking provinces as aggressively as they would need to be to prevent it from doing that. B, yeah. Nisotoshi exists. Right. Yep. And the crab Talisman. are really defensive. C, which... Talisman of the Sun exists. And yeah. <laughs> um, so when you combine all those things, it's uh, fairly trivial for a crab deck to just be like, all right, cool, here's this Satoshi. Oh, we're discarding our deck. Oh, you ran into my Mado. Here's all my dudes. Or, oh, you ran into my Mado. Let me Talisman over here so you don't break it. And now I'm going to wait for a little bit so I can build up my discard pile. And now we're going to take you back to Mado so that now I can do <laughs> Yeah. So you can do and a also, whole lot of stuff. And also yeah. just like what I said earlier of right now, people are uh, feeling like defending is a little bit stronger than attacking. And therefore people aren't, they either don't have the tools or they're not willing to commit enough to break a province early, even an important one like Mado, because if they overextend too much, even though they're breaking this important province, maybe now they've lost too many resources for all their future conflicts. Right, and early on, a lot of times people are going to try and ping that first province to see what flips in case it's something like UA. And it's, they're not like breaking that right away and, and hurting themselves. So, which of course, yeah, is great. That's the point. That's how the game is played. Like that's a, an important element of the game is the the tension between I need to break provinces, but I don't want to steam, you know, face face plant into something bad. But it's that even if people are going in with the ability to break provinces, they're hesitant to do so because the punishment for the opponent having a broken province is often not equivalent to the amount of resources I expend in breaking that province. Or the possible loss if it goes wrong. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just want to say that, that uh, as far as my own personal crab deck, this RL touches nothing. <laughs> so, okay, I, think, I think that's Tobin trying to say thank you. But that was... <laughs> yeah, sure, maybe sure. bring down all the other crabs so I can get a chance to get that Hatamoto status. Well, um, there you so, go. Well, and... The other thing that uh, I'm certainly aware of the fact that this affects some clans more than others, right? Like we were just talking about how Crane can just swap out Uji and take a slight uh, overall power level hit, but their decks are fun fundamentally the same. Crab, they're going to have to be creative. Uh, this is definitely going to incur uh, require crabs to reevaluate all of their cards. Um, mm -hmm. It's true for uh, Phoenix because Phoenix no longer just has this sort of pull out of my back pocket, get you when you're not looking, kind of. Right, wipe you off the board. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll have to see what happens with Earth Becomes Sky and that sort of thing when in Phoenix, to, in, and maybe there's something there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's there's definitely going to be a, well, this deck is gone, throw it out the window, uh, and start from scratch. Sorry. So, I mean, is, would you say that's your intent, is to make it quite a, a big change with this particular restricted list? Less than a less well, than light touch? I said at the beginning that one of my goals was to shake up the metagame and force people to reevaluate all their decks. So, uh, yes. Yeah, hit everyone. I mean, like, like I say, the idea being that almost everyone, apart from the bottom three, should definitely be going, should have some level of change. And did Even you, the bottom three. Yeah, like, well, yes, reasonably so. Like, uh, Neaton Master gives, like, if Neaton Master goes back in Dragon decks and then people have to start considering that Dragon is going to have, you know, these big readying towers again. Like they're gonna, they're, they have to deal with a new threat that maybe they haven't had to deal with, you yeah. know, in a bit. Certainly, when the holding in the lion pack and some of the new lion characters and those who serve and uh, the new unicorn character in the lion pack, like all of these cards are going to dramatically change the way that unicorn and lion can approach their matchups. Mm -hmm. To be ready for that too. It's not just that I'm forcing people to rebuild their own decks. I'm also forcing people to consider new opponents that maybe they're not used to dealing with before. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Now, along with this, along with the uh, the additions to the restricted list, you there's a what a couple of pages here, or no? There's a lot of clarifications on cards, which I know ha having having worked with you for for as long as I have, you are not shy about, hey, I'm going to put this in writing and do this. So are we to guess that this is kind of just formalizing a lot of the answers you've given in various? Uh, so we had a frequently asked questions, which was a way to be to draw attention to weird board 
updates or card interactions that maybe people wouldn't immediately pick up on things mm-hmm. like shameful display being allowed to target a character and attempt air quotes attempt to dishonor a character that's already dishonored if it then lets you rehonor somebody else right which feels like an exception in the rules but rules as written it's not unfortunately a frequently asked questions section is kind of difficult to navigate because if i'm looking for a specific specific piece of information i have to scan every single question to see if it's the one that i'm looking for oh right i get you i got you i actually really like the new structure doing it by doing it by expansion and then doing each card within that expansion makes it easier to find what you're looking for quickly in that list that's the idea right if i'm playing a if i'm have a weird card game state thing going on and it involves reprieve my reprieve that's sitting on the board i just flip to the card clarification section for reprieve and see what the clarifications are this is something that five rings db does a little bit of or does a lot more of than what the rule book does because it also incorporates just generic rules into like you might have this question and the rules answer it here's where it says so in the rules precisely obviously i'm not going to go into that level of depth that's like i'm not going to to cross-reference every single rule with every single card it interacts with or the rule book would be 10 times as big (laughs) yeah (laughs) it would be the magic floor rules at that point (laughs) sure but like for the really uh weird corner cases uh like toshimoko's corner case right where he loses the conflict so he initiates the duel but then he loses the duel but then because there was a duel something else changed that caused him to have more skill or the opponent to have less skill and now he's won the conflict what rules is written that's how it works but like you might not think that when you are in the middle of a game yeah, like I said, I think you can more easily more easily summon, summarize that situation as judge. And that's something that I want to highlight is that like this is as much for judges as it is for players because judges are the are the ones who have to look up the ruling as fast as possible. If I if we're just playing at home, or you know playtesting for a tournament at home, we have as much time as we need to go look up the ruling and make sure we're doing it right. The and judge, then argue about it. Right, the judge <laughs> should have that as fast as possible because the tournament you know needs to move on and so if i can make this information easier to find then i'm certainly going to do it this card clarification section is something that jeremy's Warren has been doing in star wars destiny for a while and i always thought that was a really good idea and now that we have as many questions and card rulings as we do i figured there was no reason to wait it's a very sensible change oh i think totally it lines up with the other idea of Jeremy's that I've stolen from Destiny, which they, Destiny has a document called a holocron, which is just the single page sheet or single sheet that you check and it has all the relevant stuff you might need to look up for for organized play events. Ah, uh, and so we know how we Imperial Law was born. Yeah, we should do that. That would make everyone's <laughs> life so easy to have the restricted list and the roles and the relevant errata all in one place. So, so is that uh, so? It, will it be permissible to have that document at the table with you during organized play events? Uh, that's for organized play to decide. But as far as I'm concerned, yes, it, it's intended to be a, a like. It's not really going to help you much during a tournament round to round unless you need to reference a specific errata, which for that reason, it might be valuable, but it's supposed to be something that like people can share easily on social media that you can like have in your deck box to check when you're writing up your deck list for a tournament. So you're making sure you're not forgetting something or, or for organizers to have readily available it for when they're running the tournament again, to help people make sure their decks are legal. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's very nice. Mm-hmm. So speaking of tournaments and such, on to the future a little bit. Do you have any predictions or any ideas about what you might want to see at the upcoming Worlds? What I want to see or yeah. what I'm going to see? It's coming in six weeks, right? We're uh, almost six weeks to the day. You will be, we'll be there in Minnesota. And so yep. what's going to happen? What do you, what do you think is going to happen? What are you hoping to see, hoping to see happen? I guess those I are mean, two different what questions. What I'm hoping to see is something I'm not expecting, obviously. I want someone to show up with some ridiculous, janky, nonsense unicorn defense deck or 
crab berserkers deck or phoenix courtiers that honor runs or something like i want to see something that i haven't seen before i think that would be really cool um Mm -hmm. i want i want there to be a breakout deck that no one saw coming and is the talk of the town in the same way although maybe not to quite the extreme degree as four the four bird four four bird four bears Four bears, echoes. Echo bird is what I call it. Echo bird, yes. Someone was calling it four bears. Numeral four, the word bears. (laughs) Oh. And it was cute because bears is also a word. But (laughs) (laughs) don't get it right away. Anyway. What do I expect to see at Worlds? It's hard to know. I feel like Lion is going to have a great shot at doing really well. The Lion Pack changes Lion's playstyle so much that it it may require more time for people to get good with that archetype than what people have available. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of games you got to run through in, in six weeks, in, in less than right? six weeks, really. Right. right. I think that Crane has a shot to do very well. I think that Phoenix will find some new way to cause me problems. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> um, do people really like complaining about Phoenix and like <laughs> oh, they do. get it? But like, I think it's I, I honestly, honestly, Tyler. I think it's all the Shugenja. I think it's just all the Shugenja and all the Shugenja tricks that that they're just can so easily do that the rest of the clans are challenged to to come up with. Right, the rest of the it's, clans are like it's, okay, Bushi and Bushi and Courtier, I get it, whatever. But Shugenja, oh, even given the, the all the things that you're doing with Bushi and Courtier in the inheritance cycle. Well, it's also this, right? One of Phoenix's like intended sort of aesthetics and play styles is this idea of like, when we win, it will be explosive and it will be overwhelming. Like Phoenix is supposed to be a greater than the sum of its parts clan. It's supposed to be a flashy, like when you think about Phoenix, flashy spectacle is absolutely part of the theme. (laughs) absolutely part of the like we're gonna do something and we're gonna like do it extra (laughs) when we we win a conflict we're not gonna win by like two we're gonna win by like 12 (laughs) no when we uh remove fate from your dudes we're gonna remove all of your fate from your dudes we're gonna burn everything to the ground (laughs) when we have shugenja we're gonna have 12 shugenja yeah like (laughs) it's it's intentional to make Phoenix play uniquely, that Phoenix feel kind of bombastic and explosive. Turns out, bombastic and explosive gets a lot of attention. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you make a fair point, right? Yeah, but it's, how, how much are we just going, that's an amazing effect. It's like, yeah, you've got ones being done by your quiet workaday guys in your deck that's about as good, but yeah, that looks cool. We know that looks cool, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's way flashier to win when you're playing Four Bearers Echoes on a Fushicho that resurrects an, a Kaede oh, than it is to win by playing Way of the Scorpion into Four Shame into Way of the Scorpion into Dark of Shame. <laughs> yeah. and the opponent just, all of their characters are dishonored. And it's like, that wasn't flashy, but it was effective. <laughs> right, right. The difference between a sword and a lightsaber. Let's be fair here. <laughs> yeah, That's what exactly. we're talking about. I mean, you've seen Ofushikai, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, he, he is oh. a very large bird. <laughs> I don't know. Ofushikai is the sword. Oh, Ofushikai, the, the sword. Yeah, okay, I thought you that, said Fushisho. That's, that's a lightsaber. Oh yeah, without any doubt. That's gotcha. a holy cow. That's a impractically cool looking, right? <laughs> Going and on. once again, Phoenix and uh, overly ostentatious and you know loud and like <laughs> way up there. Yeah. <laughs> now going a little off um talking directly about L5R stuff. We uh we had um Andrew Navarro from FFG recently and talking to to the masses about various things. I, I know that because I've got a huge list of information to give people about board games these days, but that's a different problem. Um he, he went through a whole list of like where games are in the in the current world. He would mentioned to the L5R community that we should expect a revised core set in the vein of Android Netrunner. Now, we imagine we can't ask you too many questions about this, but I think all three of us want to say, yay? <laughs> That's not what I heard. But I he, said something, it, so. he said something to the effect of, well, rotation has been announced, so the community should expect something like that in the vein of Netrunner. 
Wow. Well, then there you go. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, not not that having seen or not seen the video is a big deal. I don't watch videos of my bosses answering questions either. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I didn't see it. I'm just saying he said what he said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he did not explicitly say revised corset. True. <laughs> well, did he? Did he not? Okay. Maybe he said corset 2.0. Maybe he said, I don't know. So what, what, what Tyler is saying know. is that he can neither confirm nor Yes, okay, all right, yeah. I guess that's what Tyler is saying. I am absolutely obfuscating the topic as much as I can. <laughs> I play. All right, so hashtag free the rules. Anything else to add to the discussion as far as that goes? Uh, I can add that people's concerns with the role mechanic have been noted and are being talked about and thought about in great deal. And while I can't say anything specific, I can say that you can reasonably expect that the role mechanic will evolve at some point in 2020. And if, if and or when it does, it will uh, be directly affected by the feedback that I've gotten surrounding the role mechanic right now. Fair enough. That's about as clear also as a, ambiguous answers you can give tyler you're you're very good at that i have to commend you for that and, and that's this is not in joking i'm serious like <laughs> we we that's may it. or may not address the issues but if we do or do not address the issues please fault. know that we have been heard we have heard you <laughs> like, yeah, like, like it's important <laughs> that people understand that like i am not ignoring people's concerns about the mechanic and i'm also not shutting away the possibility for improvement right totally right and that and that i want to make the game which includes the role mechanic as good as it can be and people's concerns are absolutely important part of that well yeah i was okay. gonna say that you know he's taking a long look at the role mechanic rather than trying to you know fix it quick and get and make everybody happy right away. And he wants to make the player base happy long, long term, and find a solution that is better for the life of the game. you know, in the years to come. So I, I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now that we've got all the all the LCG stuff out of the way, but we've got an opportunity to talk to you, Tyler. <clears throat> we I, I had some we had some questions about the fiction, right? So so the <laughs> first day. one. <laughs> so this has to do mostly with the inheritance cycle fiction. Uh, it came at us. It took a while to get started, but once it got started, it came at us kind of fast, which was appreciated. The, so, so these are all, you may or may not be able to answer these questions, but the first one I have is why is Bayushi Aramoro so bad at being an assassination agent? Like wh why is wh he can't, kill anyone right that how is, is he still able to be not true <laughs> first of all he only failed because of how exceptionally good totri is as a swordsman okay so it's totri winning not so much aramoro losing okay is that what you're saying also he did if it weren't for kaede he would have succeeded right that's the point is that oh okay he succeeded at killing Totri. It's just that in the final moments of Totri's life or pseudo life or whatever he was in in that moment, Kaede happened to be there, happened to because she had void powers. She was there to pull him back from the blink, from the brink. Okay, so here's so here's an argument you can settle between two of the other podcasters on this cast. Is did did Totri die and was brought back? Or did he not die and just rescue, rescue. right before right before his death, Kaede convinced him to come back? Or did he die and Kaede brought him back? Which one is it? Yes. Shepan also approves, sir. Shepan Otto just can't figure it out. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that directly because both of them have different uh, spiritual ramifications. So at least. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What are they? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we'll, we'll move quickly on from the um, philosophical discourse to a more important one. Why does someone just kick Satori in the crotch and tell him to get a life? Why does what? Why doesn't someone just kick Satori, the uh, crown prince, I believe, in the crotch and tell him to get a life? Tobin wrote these if you can't guess. Um, I'm pretty sure you already answered your question. I mean, fair point, right? Yeah, you know, the crown prince, right? <laughs> so, I think, let's be, I mean, I don't think, I don't think the last person to, who told him to get a life is dead, except that probably is what happened, right? <laughs> Now I think about this. Well, no, the last person to tell him to get a life was his brother, right? Daigotsu. Daigotsu is very certainly, like, going on to get his own life. He decided, like, well, if his brother isn't taking his advice, then he might as well take his own. (laughs) And went off with with his lady friend. Are you saying Daisetsu went screw your phone? I'll make my own with black yes. hookers, basically. Exactly. <laughs> and the unicorn. Exactly. No. Now wow. here's an interesting point that I heard <laughs> in another cast. Because uh, Katrina Ostrander uh, apparently said that this this is one of those ramifications that came from the first uh, from the Kikomatsuri or from the decision oh, yeah. to allow Mishoto to allow the crane or to order the crane to teach Mishoto to the Sapoon. So she's there and with her taking of the Kami and maybe, you know, disabling all the alarms, right? All that stuff that they talked about in the fiction. So so that's way long term. It's wonderful to see to see that kind of uh as as uh, I've said commitment. In the past, commitment. As I've said in the past, like these story choices they're they're few in number, but they're very high in importance. Um, as they should be yeah no argument and yeah. entire story arcs uh, live and die on what these story choices are um, it's the difference yeah. between Shahai being in the capital and Shahai not being in the capital and like you say that it's so hard it's it's a really good system to have people involved in how the plot goes but it can be difficult for the average person to go what difference did this make? Because we never see the alternatives, right? You know, everything's so slickly pulled together. It doesn't seem like there could have been something else happening. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, after the last story, like I can definitely see a bunch of us, and I'm 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 almost there myself, uh, rooting. You know, I hashtag Team Shoju. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shoju would be happy to hear that. I, I, yeah, I just threw up in my mouth a little there, Doug. That's that's bad. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. Hashtag Team Soju. You took hashtag Free the Rules and 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 just moved it over to Team Soju. Well, how is it that we find ourselves rooting for this guy now? I was ready to root against him. I was ready do- at the end of this fiction to root against him completely. Well, he is doing the right thing. Shoju is doing his duty. It's literally on the pack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Show his duty. Show his duty. Right. But that's the he point. Was, there is, you know, he was given his duty by the emperor, and so. <laughs> I mean, I've got a three-year-old in the room. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I, I read this question. And I thought the obvious one, which is all the problems we have involving Shoju, are he is the most honorable person alive. Like his version, it's his viewpoint, but he is the most like. Here is how things have to work. Yeah, and but and and the thing that I found myself that was really compelling to me was that he thought of his friend. Bingo! Like, exactly. what would his friend want him to do, and was this the right thing to do by his friend, and not necessarily the emperor, right? Yep. It was what is my what is the best the, what is the thing I should do to honor the memory of my friend. And that was uh, that was quite cool. That was quite cool. I think um, it's important to remember that yes, all of these characters are samurai, and yes, these characters are also all human. Yeah, that's where the tension comes from, right? Yeah. Uh, now, having said that, how handsome is Kuanan in person? Like, really, is he is he really good looking, or is he just is he like Brad Pitt kind of Timothy Oliphant good looking, or is he just kind of? He's really pretty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it just doesn't come out in the art. Like he's all aggressive, right? <laughs> we need to get we need to get the uh, Kuanan's romance cover <laughs> cover piece. We got we got uh, Yoritomo's. Now we need Kuanan's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, is the has no a crane novella hasn't come out. That's what you need for the art. Is a kind of a a shirtless blowing in the wind Kuanan. 
which is shorter than one in romance novel for the <laughs> a kimono ripper as it were right has guilty crane pleasure or something like that novel with kawana got it all right we so, so let, let me get this straight tobin you're asking that ffg's fiction department write a pillow book <laughs> oh yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to bad, badly, um, like um, Japanese translate Mills and Boone, right? Into a, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there is an equivalent. I'm sure someone out there can tell me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. All right. So. So. All right. So we found out Kwanin is a is a handsome, handsome, handsome person. All right. We're good. <laughs> Who has less, the next question? Lot, he looks a lot less like his dad now that he's chopped off all his hair. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Well, and in that, in that piece in that piece uh of his fiction once he cut his hair i i was like i think the art is also on the page but i also was like i went to the card i went to the, i looked at the art and i'm like oh his hair is short in here i hadn't noticed that before aha uh -huh. yep. almost like you knew it was coming right? all part of the plan <laughs> <laughs> very cool on the subject of our um, uh, uh, infinitely handsome um, main character here, did Hotaro really write the letter he finds or not? Or was it was it planted by Sadako? What was it planted by Sadako? Yeah, was it was it for real? Do we know? Yeah, Do you have a it was planted by Sadako. Fair enough. Sadako put it there. <laughs> we had a whole story about it. Yeah, she got, derailed. she got derailed by a weird old man that disappeared into a black shit, black spot. Fair enough. <laughs> so did but we don't know if Hattara wrote the letter. You're not answering that question. Hmm. Maybe. Mm, yeah, see that's the piece Maybe. we want to know. <laughs> uh all right. All right, cool. Well, that answers nothing. <laughs> Other than Sadako that's what I'm here for. Yep. I, we that's why we love you, Tyler. <laughs> so there I guess I have the obvious question next. If well, you like the rest, fiction. <laughs> well, the rest of the empire is currently being stupid. What the hell are the crab doing and why? They're not being stupid. They're doing their duty. They're defending the wall. You defend the wall. You might find out Ooh. a little bit of what some specific crabs are up to sometime around the end of October and maybe even into November. Ooh, cool. Cool. Intriguing. So, oh, that reminds me. There's the whole special event of oh that Tyler is planning for Worlds, and here we are talking to Tyler. That was yes. A, that, I, I mentioned that every other episode when we're talking <laughs> about gotta, Worlds. So it's sure kind of I, don't forget. There's yeah. A special side event, and you get to come for it, and it's going to be on Wednesday through Saturday. It's a multi-day event. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Not in the way you think, but yes. <laughs> okay. Cool. Thanks. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so if you show up with your friends and you are not playing in the last chance qualifier, you can play in this instead. Oh, wonderful. Great. Maybe. 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 <laughs> maybe. Yeah. If, if or when it exists. Well, wall supplies. I last can't time. tell you why or what or how, <laughs> but at least I can probably tell you when. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's good. People have something they they know they, they can do something there, right? Besides, have the uh, what is it? The Punin, is that what it is? That that the FFG what? Event Center, the it's, Poutine, the Poutine. There you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm trying to reinforce in everyone's minds that Winter Court is not just the World Championships. That there is that we're trying to do a lot more with it than just be the World Championships. Yeah, awesome stuff. Five R. This is not L five R convention. This is. But it's kind of, you know, an echo of that. Right. So right. we don't know what this is. Play but... L5R all weekend, and either you're in the main event of that day, or you're doing a cool side event, or you're doing a role playing game thing. Hopefully, we can get that organized, um, nice. which I think we can, but I can't commit to anything. Yeah. Yeah. So this, well, there's, there's also Smokes, Tokes, and Rokugan happening on Friday night. And there's also so... Smokes, Tokes, and Rokugan <laughs> Friday night, which is. <laughs> And uh, so, well, thank you very much again. Thanks for doing this, Tyler. It's been much appreciated giving us a chance to talk to you about this uh, new version of the restricted list. 
Uh, thanks to yes, all our Patreon sure. supporters to for supporting us. Tyler, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, as we move into these last almost six weeks before Worlds? Good luck. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun. If you'd like to join the discussion, have ideas for future episodes, feedback, or questions for us, you can contact us at artofforecast at gmail.com, via Twitter at artofforecast, via Facebook, or leave a comment in the episode's comment section. Please review us on iTunes. It helps other Rokugani find us. If you'd like to support us, check us out at patreon.com slash artofforecast. Thank you for listening, and remember, honor is the deadliest weapon. like there's like smooth jazz playing and i'm trying to figure out where it's coming from i think it's like my neighbor but it must be so loud if i can hear it <laughs> we Just can't hear it here. like this is so <laughs> nice <bizarre. laughs> that I was fixing up. And so, got chipped when we moved. And like, oh, that's a bummer. Metals? Fixing little tiny paint chip holes is such a pain in the butt. Are they, are they metallics? Are they metal, metal minis? Mm-hmm. So you got a stretch surface snap. Um, uh, gloss varnish, art coat, and then repaint over it. Drop a little dot in it. Is that better metal. than just repainting directly onto it? And it, then... will, it will fill out more effectively. It'll level off. If you put a little pool in and smooth it, it'll fill level and you can paint it. Ah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a joke. It needs to be a joke. <laughs> uh, restricted list special, and then uh, a romance, a Quanon romance novel, or whatever you were going to say. Can I, can I call it Tobin's romance novel? <laughs> <laughs> so please do. <laughs> restricted list special, Tobin's romance novel. <laughs> yep, that's it. I, I just just want to turn my mic. That worked. That works. That's it's unfortunate, but it really works well. <laughs> Worlds is gonna be so great. <laughs>